0: We interrupt this regularly scheduled fantasy baseball today because we have some breaking news. Yasiel Puig has signed with the Atlanta Braves. Frank Stanford here with Chris Towers to give you a little bit of an update here. And Chris, we were wondering where it was going to happen. We've heard the rumors of the Baltimore Orioles, the San Francisco Giants. This is a pretty damn good lineup that now features Ronald Acuna, Yasiel Puig, Marcel Ozuna, hopefully, eventually, Freddie Freeman. It's a pretty good
1: spot. It's not a bad spot. You know, I, like if you were talking about what the best landing spot for Yasiel Puig would have been for fantasy, it would have been either Baltimore or Colorado uh, in terms of teams that had been linked to him at some point. But, um, you know, because those are not better lineups than Atlanta, but have more opportunity for playing time and are better parks. Whereas Atlanta is more of a, a neutral park. And, you know, you look at this and all of a sudden this is a pretty, I mean, it was already a pretty crowded, uh, situation especially when freeman was healthy because you know there was there was questions about whether austin riley would be in the lineup every day whether ender and Ciarte would play every day um whether Johan camargo would be the everyday third baseman and i think we'll still see a situation where puig plays i guess he's going to be the everyday left fielder
0: yeah that's what i'm thinking
1: i guess the question is how much does ender and Ciarte play that, that's going to be the key question, because if Arte plays, that moves Acuna to one of the corner spots and leaves basically a corner spot and a D8 spot for Yasiel Puig and Marcelo Zuna. And if one of them is in the D8 spot, and presumably it would be Ozuna, although he does have experience playing center field as well, so he might not be a significantly worse option defensively than Yasiel Puig. But if one of them's in that D8 spot, then that leaves – Austin Riley and Johan Camargo battling for third base when Freeman's healthy. I think until Freeman's back in the lineup um, or if Freeman's not back in the lineup by opening day, I think there's room for Yasiel Puig to play every day. There's room for Marcelo Ozuna to play every day. And I don't think there's much question. Ozuna will play every day. Um, Puig, it's a little more of a question, I think.
0: Ozuna's an absolute butcher in the outfield, so I think that they want to use him as their DH, and I think the plan was Austin Riley was going to play left field, but I would agree with you. I think Puig probably slots in in left field. It sounds like they want Enciarte in there regularly in center field because he is a great defender, so Austin Riley could slide over to first base until Freddie Freeman is ready and maybe take over third base because obviously he has higher prospect pedigree than someone like Johan Camargo. And...
1: Camargo was really bad
0: last year. Yeah,
1: um, you know he was a he was a below replacement level player last season. Obviously, he was better than that his first two years, but just worth pointing out that in 248 plate appearances, he had a negative 0.5 work.
0: For Yasiel Puig, last year he was a top 30 outfielder in both formats. Chris, uh, specifically in Roto, he was outfielder 25. He was a top 70 player in that format. I think we can agree he is a better Roto play. uh, 23 or more home runs, 15 or more steals in three straight seasons. He's been between a 263 and 267 batting average each of the past four seasons. I think my knee-jerk reaction to this is that I'm going to move him up around that Max Kepler, Lourdes Gurriel range of outfielders just inside the top 40, and I think in ADP, he's probably between 130 and 150. Does that sound accurate to you, Chris? Should he be higher than that, lower than that? What do you think?
1: No, that sounds about right. Uh, I would have been more excited if he had signed somewhere else. Um, If he had signed in Colorado, I think he would have been a top 75 pick, but alas, the Rockies are the Rockies. But no, he is one of those, as we talked about earlier or later on this podcast, I'm not sure when this is going to be inserted, so you'll
0: find out right at the top, baby, right at the top. Chris. Okay.
1: So as we talk about later in today's <laughs> podcast, which was recorded earlier, uh, you know, Scott Kingery and Will Myers are two of the last 20 home or 20 steal guys in a full season uh, that you can draft. And, and that makes them pretty valuable in Roto. Well, you know, Yasiel Puig is another one of those guys, 24 home runs, 19 stolen bases last season, at least 15 steals in three straight years. Uh, He is a power speed threat who won't kill you in batting average. And I think there's room for improvement from the 267 mark he's been at. I mean, basically four years in a row, he's been remarkably consistent in batting average, but you know, like he's had years where the strikeout rates lower. He's had years where the Babbitt was higher. If he can put them both together uh, you know, I think there's room for Yasiel Puig to be a 275, 280 hitter. Um, And so then you're talking about a guy who can be a legitimate five-category contributor in fantasy. Um, so, yeah, I think he's a good combination of a high-floor player in Roto uh, with upside. So, yeah, 40th at outfield, top 150 makes perfect sense to me.
0: Chris, if I asked you his ownership percentage on CBS, what would you say it is? 24%. 32. Get out there and add Yasiel Puig right now. If you are listening to this, drop everything and go add Yasiel Puig. Uh, Ultimately, I think when everything shakes out, Freeman will be at first. I think Austin Riley will play third. I think Puig is in left. I think Enciarte is in center. And I think Marcelo Zuna is at DH. Does that sound right to you, Chris?
1: Yeah, and it it is worth noting that Austin Riley was definitely mentioned as one of the possible first-based options. There was a report from MLB.com over the weekend that he might've been the leader uh, in terms of the battle for first base playing time with Freddie Freeman out. So, you know, it does sound like there are plenty of opportunities for him to get in the lineup. Uh, And with Austin Riley, you know, as we talk about later on, on this podcast with pitchers, you know, there are workload concerns, but if you pitch well enough, they're not really going to be a concern. I think that's mostly the case with Austin Riley. If he plays, if he hits, he's going to play every day. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, It, and and so if you believe he's going to hit, Austin Riley is still his ADP really has not risen even with the addition of the DH. Like he's still been, you know, late two hundreds in ADP. As long as he's still there on draft day, and if this fa- causes him to fall to the last rounds, uh, he's kind of a perfect late, uh, final round pick or final three round pick uh, to make sure you get him because Austin Riley does have significant, you know, forty homer and a full season potential.
0: Especially in that lineup. Oof, what a lineup it is. The Atlanta Braves. Yeah. Yasiel Puig signs with the Atlanta Braves. He is Chris. I am Frank. Now back to your normally scheduled Tuesday Fantasy Baseball Today podcast.
2: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from
3: CBS Sports. I drive. Center
4: field. Hit the wall. Grand slam is magnificent.
2: Got a fantasy question? Email baseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam.
0: Sleepers, who doesn't love a good sleeper? Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today, Tuesday, July 14th. And would you look at that? Team facts. Frank, Adam, Chris Towers, Scott are all back in business together. Guys, it's been a hot minute since we've had all four of us together on the show. So you know what that means? Today's podcast is going to be two hours long. How are you doing? Good. Let's do it. Marathon pod. I'm here for
4: it. Adam, what's up, man? I want to make a joke that's a little risque. Uh, that since it's so early in the show, that if you feel like you can't air it, that you could just start over. What do you think? Sure. Right. I hope we're leaving all this in. We're team facts. It's a good thing my name is not Ulysses.
1: Right? Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, it's
0: just not a very good joke.
1: Uh, yeah, well, no, w- it's not.
0: <laughs> Adam, do you still have the cricket button on your, uh, on your soundboard? You want to play that for us? Is it playing? There you go. <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> that worked out quite well. Uh, Scott is here. Scott's wearing a Blue Jays hat. You can see that on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. Shout out to yeah, Nate Pearson.
3: Not, not a current Blue Jay.
0: I like that hat though. Either. That's a like nice what hat. era
3: what era would you describe this as? The Brett Lawry era of Blue no. Jays?
4: Yeah.
0: When, when I see that I think Roy Halladay, First mm. and foremost.
4: Yeah. Okay. Hey Frank. What's up? I said, uh, I said, good thing my name's not Ulysses. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Adam has a Adam
0: has his uh, own soundboard. He has his own mic drops uh, now and <laughs> go uh it's gonna be a long trailing off laughter you you hate (laughs) that's how funny the joke was uh today on the show we have sleepers we are going to recap our position previews and we will answer your questions continue to email us fantasybaseball at cbsi.com let's start off with some of those sleepers scott why don't you get us started was your right. favorite sleeper in 2020 you know do I even have to say <laughs> who my favorite s-
3: sleeper is you know who my favorite sleeper is you can say it for me it's fine it's
0: Mark Hanna, but I yeah. will say this I listened to your guys sleepers episode back in March and oh. your favorite sleeper then was Mark Hanna, and Chris's was Mitch Keller and Adams was Chris Davis so I don't know should we go in a different direction since we've talked a lot about Mark Hanna? <sighs>
3: If we must, if we must, <laughs> we must. Um, my favorite sleeper beyond Mark Canna. I, I gotta tell you, right now it might be Alex Wood. I've I've kind of gone back and forth on Alex Wood. Um, obviously, obviously the 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 constant thread has been he spent the off season, which I guess now was almost a year ago. He spent the off season. Uh, Working out with driveline baseball, adding some velocity to his pitches. You know that that workout program has had has has had a lot of success for pitchers, particularly in that area, adding velocity. And he's been throwing since then at a velocity we haven't seen since the first half of 2017, I believe. My my internet is my computer is not cooperating here, so I'm just having to go top of mind. But I believe it was 2017, the first half. For yeah. Alex Wood, where he went like ten and zero with a one seventy five ish ERA, crazy strikeout rate. So that's that's really the basis for the whole Alex Wood sleeper argument. So after that, it just becomes an issue of of uh, how much length the Dodgers are going to give him, what kind of role they're going to give him. And obviously, they have a lot of exciting alternatives in their pitching staff. Dustin May was great down the stretch, top pitching prospect. Normally, you don't see a top pitching prospect do what he did last year and not have a rotation spot, and yet that's how things are lining up. And, you know, they announced Alex Wood was going to be in the rotation way back in spring training, but you figure, okay, things are going to change, shortened season, expanded rosters, they're going to piggyback pitchers. Doesn't seem like they're doing that with Alex Wood. He is is one of three that are really ahead of the others in terms of being stretched out. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, no surprise there. Alex Wood, and actually Ross Stripling. I mean, you can make a pretty strong sleeper case for him, too. It can be piggybacked, but he's not. I was just
4: going to say that, though. Like, yeah. They're going kind of similarly in ADP, Stripling and Wood. So yeah. who would you take?
3: I would take Wood because you know he's ahead in the pecking order. Um, I mean, Ross Stripling's Ross Stripling's track record is is, I guess, more spotless than Wood's is. It isn't as lengthy. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't have that stretch that Alex Wood had the first half of 2017, where he was basically the best pitcher in baseball with the velocity he's showing now. And that's the only time he's had the velocity he's showing now. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say he's going to be quite that good again, but do I think he could be must start good again, Alex Wood? Yes, absolutely. And uh, obviously, you're not paying near that price for him.
0: Alex Wood, the last time we saw that velocity, 92, 93 miles per hour. Scott referenced it. It was the first half of 2017. He had a 167 ERA with a 0.89 whip in the first half for Alex Wood of 2017. And then Ross Tripling in his career as a starter has a 371 ERA and a 120 whip. Uh I am definitely intrigued in both of those guys as well. Ross Tripling hasn't officially been named a starter yet, but he has been Uh, working as a starter throughout summer camp, and he's been stretched out. So uh, it looks like it is trending that way. Chris, why don't you give us one of your favorite sleepers here in 2020?
1: Hmm. Yeah, you know, I I tend to go by a little different rules. Uh, Most people will say, like, a sleeper has to be passed. Pick X, uh, typically in the triple digits.
0: Chris, the only thing that I will ask is that you do not say Giancarlo Steyn.
1: Giancarlo Stanton is my favorite sleeper for 2020. I'm not saying that as a bit. I genuinely believe it. Uh, I think his talent level is being slept on. I think, you know, we've had this conversation 25 times, but I think the how good he is is being a little bit forgotten because of the injuries. Like, there's downgrading because of injuries, and then there's what has happened to Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, he is 63rd in... NFC ADP since the middle of June, uh, right right around when the announcement that the season was coming back. You know, he is only one spot behind Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz might actually be the answer for favorite sleeper because he is, I think they, there are players who are just literally being slept on. Their value is being uh, slept on. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with two early round guys. Sorry, everyone. I'll have later round guys later.
0: All right, Chris, it's later now. How about you give us your favorite sleeper outside of the top 150?
1: <laughs> oh such a Later. jerk um hmm uh, he's, he's deep in thought no i'm not blanking i'm trying to figure out malik smith how about that all right with how with how valuable stolen bases are right now uh i think malik smith is being penalized too much for a down season where he still led the majors in
0: steals all right That's fair enough. That's easy enough for me for Malik Smith, and we talked about him. I Uh, thought
1: we were trying to move quickly. (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) That was great. That was great. uh, Come on, guys. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You are giving me conflicting signals right now. (laughs) I can't deal with this. My, uh, come on.
0: All right, I'll give you a few sleepers I like here, and you guys let me know what you think about these guys. Some late-round hitters. Will Myers for me, someone who I've moved up my rankings, and I continue to move him up. I have him all the way up as my 47th outfielder in Roto. So I just he just continues to climb. 2016, he had 259, 28 homers, 28 steals. He was a top-six outfielder in both formats. He was top-20 overall in Roto. If you think he's just done, then, yeah, you should probably avoid him, but he's only 29 years old, and I think with the universal DH – uh, he is someone that will play regularly and it should help him stay healthy for Will Myers. So uh, right now um, in 32 NFBC drafts this month, he is the 62nd outfielder off the board in ADP of 238. So he's climbing up a little bit, but I still don't think it's as high as it should be. And then Carter Keeboom, I just don't understand when it comes to Carter Keboom, people have gone too far the other way. He hit 128 with a 491 OPS last year, 43 plate appearances in the majors. Yet he is a top 25 prospect he has a starting job to begin the season with the Washington Nationals. He's going to play third base. He's going to have dual eligibility. He hit two eighty seven with an eight forty seven OPS in the minors. I don't understand why people are not drafting Carter Keeboom higher than they are. So two hitters for me, Will Myers and Keeboom.
3: Yeah, no, I, I could make the same argument. You want me to give another one now? Sure. I could make the same Keeboom case for Austin Riley of the Braves. Yep. Who, you can. Whose playing time seems pretty assured now with the addition of the DH spot and, and Freddie Freeman possibly not available for the start of the season. Actually, the thinking is if, if Freeman isn't Riley would be the one playing first base with Johan Camargo at uh, third base, Adam Duvall in left field, Marcelo Zuna at DH. Ozuna seems locked into that DH spot. They, I think the thinking is Riley's a better left fielder, even than Ozuna is playing, even though Riley's playing out of position there, obviously a natural third baseman. Uh, but, the point is Riley gets off like the, the bats are sure for Riley there at the beginning. If he gets off to a good start, they'll either move him to third base in place of Camargo or to left field in place of Duvall and just let him do his thing. I think he has arguably the most, the most raw power on the entire Braves team, which is saying something on a team that also includes Ronald Acuna. Like Riley is a 70 grade power bat. Um, and he showed it obviously last year with nine home runs in his first 18 games. And you know, he was, he was the bee's knees at that point and then just collapsed. And so nobody wants anything to do with him anymore, but 23 year old former top prospect who, uh, you know, has that kind of power potential um, for a next to nothing cost. You know, the likelihood he's going to be dual or perhaps even triple eligible. uh, Eventually like Getting that kind of power bat that late in drafts is, is uh, I think, a must in rotisserie leagues. So Austin Riley, he's going on average 293rd overall, right? 300, around 300th overall.
0: Yeah, and he has climbed a little bit in 32 drafts in the NFBC in the month of July. His ADP is at 269. So he climbed up a little bit as a result, likely, of the universal DH. Adam's here. What's up, Adam? Let's get you yeah. involved. Who would you rather have, my sleeper or Scott's sleeper? Will Myers or Austin
4: Riley? Austin Riley. Will Myers is not just not a good hitter. I, I do uh, like the steals, so I guess if I needed fifteen steals, maybe he can give you you know a fifteen steal pace. Maybe he can give you more than that. Hasn't been that long, um, but like he strikes out too much. He hits two fifty. If you're lucky, his on base percentage is terrible. Uh, I don't think he's going to score a lot of runs. I'd rather take more upside in Riley, but another guy. In the Austin Riley, Carter Keyboom vein that maybe is being penalized too much for a bad season is uh Danny Jansen. I can't say I've drafted Danny Jansen, um, but I definitely the antenna would go up if he had a really good start and he were on waivers. Uh, because you know, he had a really bad year last year. We had a 50-game stretch in the midst of it that was very good. We know he can get on base. And again, you know, it happened to Raphael Devers. It happens to the young players sometimes, they have bad seasons. They live and they learn, they get better. So Danny Jansen, a super late pick. You can wait and wait and wait in a one-catcher league and take Danny Jansen. Even in like a 14-team league or something, you can do that. Uh, so that would be a sleeper for me. I also think um, Stripling would be my favorite, by the way, of, of all these late-round pitchers. or Yeah, yeah, I would say Stripling. I was going to say Rich Hill, but his ADP has climbed up to like the 160 range. And what I want to know from you, uh, Frank, was you said you moved... Michael Myers up to 48-ish or something. Who are the outfielders that you have around him in your rankings? So, pulling that
0: up for you right now. And I moved him up to 47 in Roto, just ahead of Adam Eaton. This might be a little egregious. J.D. Davis, Hunter Dozier, Mark Canna, Alex Verdugo. But I do Mm -hmm. like this range. I like this range a lot. Myers, Davis, Canna, Verdugo. Um, the, the other guys more so in head-to-head points leagues. But because of Roto, I gave Myers uh, the slight advantage because I do think that he can swipe some bags here's, and provide some steals.
1: Here's one question I have. Where do you have Scott Kingery? Because that is one of those things when you say Will Myers is ahead of those guys, yeah. it's like, ooh, I don't know about that. But then, like, Scott Kingery is, you know, being drafted not for free.
0: Yeah, I have him at 37. I have him outfielder 37 in oh, okay, Roto. So you got Kingery really high, Yeah, too. see,
1: like, I actually don't think there's that much of a difference between Scott Kingery and Will Myers. I think is getting a bit of a bump for being a young guy, but he has pretty much the exact same plate discipline issues that Will Myers does. And so, Where is he eligible? He's eligible in more places, sure. Right. he's Third, third base and outfield, outfield. For now, he's going to yep. get
3: second base. Right. Early on.
1: I think that's, like, the, that's a big difference, right? Yeah, I mean, getting second base eligibility would be very helpful, but third and outfield, I, I don't think that's really – that big that like that shouldn't push his value up too much and so you know that's one where i kind of came into the year thinking scott kingery would be one of my favorite sleepers and i've kind of gone off of him because i like i think will myers is a perfectly reasonable is going to do a perfectly reasonable facsimile of what scott kingery will do for a lot cheaper
3: yeah that's that's fair i i don't disagree with that specifically it's just i don't want scott kingery ahead of jd davis or mark canna himself much less will myers but uh, my my previous thinking on on scott kingery was that he was the last of the likely 2020 guys to go off the board and considerably after the next to last danny santana but now will myers has become you know when i say 2020 i'm obviously talking about the pace over a shortened season Uh, now will myers has become the last of the likely 2020 guys and he goes even much later Kingery, so I think that's fair. And you know, just to kind of calibrate everything here, you asked Adam whether Frank. You asked Adam whether he would prefer your sleeper Will Myers or mine Austin Riley. Well, I would actually prefer yours, Will Myers, <laughs> of the two. If I need steals, obviously. If I don't need steals, then you know, I do think I do think Riley has the higher ceiling overall. But uh, yeah, that kind of. That kind of calibrates everything.
0: Forward. There you I go. That. The Adam, Adam is it. back, and Scott's Hello. phone is ringing. Let's go. It didn't
1: go off yesterday, I don't think.
0: <laughs> it didn't. It's it the return of Adam, right? Yeah, now it's like three out of the last four. <laughs> uh, uh, Chris, give me a few more names you like as sleepers this season. Some of your favorites.
1: Yeah, sure. Joe Musgrove, Mitch Keller. Yeah, We've I didn't mention Musgrove because
0: I talk about Musgrove so much, but of course, Musgrove is on the list.
1: Yeah, I, I think both of them uh, figure to benefit from... New pitching coach in Pittsburgh. And I feel like people might be getting the sense that we think uh, Oscar Marin is like a miracle worker when he doesn't have any kind of track record as a pitching coach at the major league level. And he's a new racerage. Really, well, that's not really how I view it. It's more just that I think the Pirates were so far beyond the times that if they just get to like average in terms of their use of statistics and forward thinking analysis, it's going to make it a big impact for a guy like Musgrove who saw a velocity bump for a guy like Mitch Keller, who has a lot of velocity and really good secondary pitches. Those guys have the tools to be really good. And I have more confidence in the pirates, putting them in a position to, to get the most out of those tools than I did before. I'll also throw out uh, Dylan Cease, who is another kind of post-hype, Sleeper uh, was a pretty big-time pitching prospect. Uh, was number two, I believe, in the White Sox organization. Well, three, I guess it was Eloy, Kopech, and Dylan Cease. Uh, Dylan Cease is super talented, and he would spent the off-season, you know, working with the the trackman data and and some of those advanced uh, pitching. Tools to try to figure out, you know, where he went wrong with his mechanics, where he went wrong with his pitch selection. And the talent is all there. He's got great stuff. And really, if he can just get the control figured out, I think Dylan Cease has the potential to be a very good pitcher beginning this season.
0: And I think something that we probably talked about at some point, but haven't mentioned it recently is that Yasmani Grandal is going to be huge for the pitching staff of the White Sox. He is one of the best pitch framers in baseball. He's going to be able to steal strikes for a lot of these young pitchers. It could help Ronaldo Lopez. It should help Dylan Cease, specifically in lowering that walk rate. Uh, And if it helps Lucas Giolito, I mean, I don't know how much better Lucas Giolito can actually get. Adam, Chris mentioned two Pirates there. I have a multiple-choice question for you. Would you rather draft A, Joe Musgrove, B. Mitch Keller. C. None of the above.
4: You know, like I be, just because I respect you so much, I will say Joe Musgrove. Yeah, I've never been that impressed, <laughs> but there's something there, and you guys are good analysts, so I'll I'll say Joe Musgrove would would be my answer there. Mitch Keller it seems like he's got a long way to go. I mean, he's got to get a lot better than he was last year you know I just don't know that this is going to be the year I, I understand long term there's a lot to like for Mitch Keller but just how bad he was last year for me for him to go from that bad to for him to Giolito it you know that'd be pretty tough uh he so might I be think in, in what best. ways was he actually bad that's yeah,
3: his
0: already was
1: over seven. seven Adam there's actually Dan, that is one way he was bad his Babbitt was there,
0: 475.
1: That was not actually. You said he he would Giolito it. That's actually not the preferred term. The preferred term is Jose Barrios it. Uh, it's easy to forget now, but Barrios made 14 starts in 2016 with a, and this is not a misprint, 8.02 ERA uh, yeah. and 1.869 whip. He was worse than Mitch Keller, and he was actually worse. He had a 620 FIP. Uh, Jose Barrios in his first 14 starts in the majors was a disaster. He was about as bad as a pitcher could possibly be. And then he came back the next season and had a 389 ERA and nearly a strikeout per inning. So, all right, you know, I just think it's a situation where you bet on the talent, you bet on the minor league track record, which for Mitch Keller is very good. And, you know, there's another obvious name that who wore the same uniform and who was held back by Ray Searage in similar ways. And that's Tyler glass. Now, another guy who put up dynamite numbers uh, all through his minor league career, gets called up to the pirates all of a sudden can't get any swings and misses. Can't get any strikeouts. Can't stop walking anyone. Uh, I just, it was, it's a situation where I just think you want to bet on the talent and bet on the situation being better. I actually might like Mitch Keller more than Joe Musgrove. All right. Okay. But but here's the thing.
4: We've, we've talked about this topic a lot and and what the short season is going to be like for starting pitchers. And I believe that, the ones who have yet to prove that they can go deep into games are going to be the ones they have the quick hooks because there's going to be a sense of urgency for these sure. teams. They're all in the playoff race. Well, for 60- the, the Pirates aren't. Well, the Pirates could be for, for a month. You never know. So I, I I don't think that this is going to be the year for young pitchers who are not established. Now, I, I think like Jesus Lazardo is, is going to be an exception. But these young pitchers with, with high pedigree, I'm, I'm just not sure this is the year that they are able to really showcase their abilities. If oh, you're
1: right. not watching, if you're just listening to the podcast, Scott just made a uh, kind of sideways grunting kind of face or grimacing <laughs> kind of face, and I'm with Scott there. When you mentioned Jesus Lizardo might be the exception. I think it's going to come down to, like, Jesus Lizardo I think is going to have workload questions. Uh,
3: if, if it wasn't evident before, the fact he hasn't reported to camp.
1: Yeah.
4: Okay. But, I, yes, I understand. I'm saying, you know, I understand. lazardo has been dealing with with COVID, right? Is that established or just rumor? Uh, yeah, he yeah. uh, he
3: actually is tested positive, though I don't think he has symptoms.
4: Forget Lazardo. That's the point is most young pitchers who haven't gone through the order three times, they're going to be the ones that are most at risk of getting pulled. That's my. That's my personal opinion. I want more established veteran pitchers in this shortened season than I normally would. I think
1: that's fair. I will also just say, if Mitch Keller's as good as he can be, it's not going to matter. Like It's, it's ultimately going to come down to, is he good or not? If he's not good, then he probably doesn't belong on your team because he's not going to go deep into games anyway. But if Mitch Keller is the kind of like mid-threes ERA, good control, great strikeout rate guy, I think he can be. Yeah. Then, yeah, it, it ultimately, Blake Snell doesn't throw a lot of pitches. He went deep into games the year he had a one eight nine ERA because he was really efficient and he didn't go deep into games the next year. So, I just, that kind of stuff is very heavily tied to results. Um, and so, it just comes down to your comfort level in believing in, in the talent of a Mitch Keller or a Dylan Cease or a Nate Pearson. Yeah. Those are lottery ticket plays. Yeah. Like, that's.
3: If you're approaching them as more than that, if you're approaching them as okay, I'm going to draft this guy and and know that this spot in in my on my pitching staff is going to be filled capably, then you're doing it wrong. Like you you're drafting them for the upside, um, and if it doesn't break through, you need to have a you need to have a quick hook for them. Uh, I I do get the idea that like you can't. You can't afford to mess around as much with lottery tickets yeah, at the start of the right. season like you could in a, a full length season because you just you have to be good right out of the gate probably to uh, to stand a chance in your league this year. So that I agree, it kind of lowers the value of all those guys relative to somebody more proven like a like Joe Musgrove. Um, but you know, I still think the upside is higher and the breakout could it, is absolutely on the table for somebody like Mitch Keller.
4: The last, you know aims- what? I, I like one of Chris's sleepers too, and Steven Matt's his curveball that has been impressive in camp so far. And, um, he's uh, his ADP. Let me check Stephen Matt's ADP. But I mean,
1: it's basically, yeah, it's like beyond 300. He's he's a guy right. that I've been hurt by many times in my life and will continue uh, to take chances on him. I feel like Dylan Bundy's that guy for a lot of people this year. Um, Steven Matz's
0: ADP in the month of July in NFBC is 291. So he's going just behind Dallas Keuchel, Yanni Chirinos, Cole Hamill, Spencer Howard.
4: I've said my piece, Frank.
0: (laughs) Uh, The last names that I wanted to mention quickly are Dylan Bundy, the one that Chris just brought up. I think the change from Baltimore to... Uh, Anaheim is one that can only help him, he has struggled mightily with home runs, I think getting out of Camden Yards is something that will help him, uh, and he's averaged right around a strikeout per inning in his career last year, a 12.9% swinging strike rate, so I'm intrigued in Dylan Bundy, and then Nate Valdi. last year I was in on Nate Valdi. I'm going right back to the well, uh, he actually pitched today in an inter-squad game, four innings pitched, uh, one underrun, three strikeouts, and it looks like He's going to be the opening day starter. Life comes at you fast, especially if you're Nate Evaldi. Uh, He was very good in 2018. He's just got to get back to that form. Um, Used his cutter a lot that year. That's what we need to see out of Nate Evaldi. Scott, anyone you want to bring us home with real quick?
3: Yeah, I've given you two names so far, so I'll try and give you two here fairly quickly. Um, Back in on Josh James of the Astros. He finally reported yesterday he was delayed because of the birth of his child. He says he's ready to throw seventy-five to eighty pitches right away. He's been working out five days a week, and like the Astros are, their 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 options are becoming limited. Uh, I mean, with with uh, Urquidy, Jose Urquidy uh, on the IL, we don't know exactly why, but he's on the IL, and we don't know exactly when he's returning. So it's it seems likely he won't be ready for the start of the season. And if Josh James, if they're if they're satisfied with where Josh James is physically, I, I still think he's probably in line for a rotation spot for the Astros and, you know, 15 Ks per nine as a reliever last year, uh, triple digit fastball. You look at his minor league track record as the starter, really his last year, because he, he had kind of a, he was kind of a late bloomer, but he, it was dominant. I think he could dominate with a great supporting cast behind him. And uh, one more name, I'm gonna. Oh, is it too obvious to say Gio Urshela? Is he? Do I even need to get into that? Is, is he? Is, is am I as tied He's to Gio Urshela Canaver. as I am to Mark Canna and Jamie yeah, Davis? I would say Jimmy so. Davis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. it's gonna great late round source of batting average in RBI and fine for power.
0: News and notes: Jordan Hicks opted out of the season yesterday, citing his type one diabetes. Um, Scott, what happens in this bullpen? Giovanni Gallegos has yet to report to camp. Uh, they've been talking up Ryan Helsley potentially as a a closer candidate. Last year, two nine five ERA, one two five WHIP, uh, but he was below eight Ks per nine. He does throw the ball hard, but it hasn't necessarily translated to strikeouts. Again, that's Ryan Helsley, um, and then Carlos Martinez was actually pretty good as the closer last year. He had twenty four saves, low three ZRA, one eight one one eight WHIP. Uh, what do you think happens here, Scott? So
3: I am about sixty six point six repeated percent confident now that it's Helsley. Um, Gallegos could report and and get ready quickly because he's a reliever and, and maybe it'll still go to him. Uh, I'm even though Carlos Martinez showed up over the weekend and struck out four batters in two innings and looks like physically he's at a point where he could start just because. Uh, you know, the Cardinals have lost Hicks now and they don't know where Gallego stands and they lost John Brebby at a Tommy John surgery, which I totally missed that happened in June. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of depleted in the bullpen and they just may need Carlos Martinez there more. And if he does go to the bullpen, I think it's, it would obviously I, be to close. So yeah, I
1: don't think he's going to the bullpen to be a middle reliever. Or right.
3: Guy. Right. And now it may just be a short-term thing for Martinez. And when they get uh, Gallego's back, you know, maybe they reshuffle, but, uh, I, I think, I think if, if, if you're forcing me to pick one guy for saves for the Cardinals today, I'm picking Ryan Housley, but it's still, it's still very murky.
1: I'm actually making drafting Carlos Martinez more of a priority now than I was before all this, because I think I'm more confident he'll be the closer than I am that he would have been a very good starter. But either way, now that he's reported, if he ends up being a starter, I think he'll have value. If he ends up being the closer, I think he'll have even more value. And so, you know, he was a guy I made sure to get in that auction draft uh, last week. And I just, I, I'm really excited about Carlos Martinez coming out of the bullpen.
0: Scott, how high would you draft uh, Helsley? Is he in that group of Hunter Harvey, the speculative Giants relievers? Is he no, that high yet?
3: I'll put him ahead of them because I think you know as long as he holds on to the role, I, he'll get the he'll get the saves to uh, to. I'm more confident he'll get a save, a number of saves that will uh, make him relevant. Unlike those guys, uh,
4: but uh, which guys? Who was that? Like Frank
0: Hunter Harvey, the, uh, the Giants relievers, oh, Tyler oh, Rogers,
4: suck. and Tony Watson, and yeah. yeah we're, but what, we're talking what about, about Archie the real Bradley, who? Every show, I basically tout Archie Bradley. Like, I'm taking Archie Bradley over a Cardinals guy.
3: Yeah, I think I think skills-wise, like, I don't think Archie Bradley is very good, but I don't think Ryan Helsley is very good either. Yeah. So I think that's a good skills comparison. And obviously, Bradley has more job security than Helsley. So I'll put Helsley behind him, but I'll put him ahead of, you know, those prospective closers for bad teams.
0: You guys are wrong about Archie Bradley. That great year. <laughs> we'll see. Time will tell, Adam. Byron Buxton... Was carted off with a foot injury last night. I mean, this guy's another one. Just like Aaron Uh, Judge. There's always something going on with Byron Buxton. Uh, One of our listeners tweeted at us last night and called him Mr. Glass. That's probably a fair nickname for Byron Buxton at this point. Have you guys seen those movies? Unbreakable, Split, Glass.
1: I've only seen Unbreakable. It
0: is one of my favorite movies. It's very good.
1: Uh, I think by far, hot take, by far M. Night Shyamalan's best
0: movie no one else here has seen any of those movies unbreakable I had, split glass
3: I, I, i've heard of unbreakable are those are those other sequels to it yeah yeah there's
0: it's like, so, a, there was like a 16 or 17 year gap in between them too which was oh. just what it was kind of
1: like a sideways sequel it wasn't like a direct sequel it was part of the unbreakable extended
0: cinematic universe
3: oh they're doing one of those things like yeah. Overfield's trying to do
1: maybe
0: yeah no they're good though you should check them out if you can um scott if byron buxton is out any interest in jake cave would he be the next guy up? I assume he would be.
3: Uh, it would have to be a deep league. I, I don't think he's totally talentless, but he he strikes out a lot and it would be a short term thing. And it's just it's just not an exciting enough skill set to to really move the needle for me.
0: Cody Bellinger has altered his swing mechanics. He's not pleased with hitting 263 in the second half last season. Uh Adam, does this matter?
4: If so, how I much I hate this. Yes. I absolutely hate this. Like I, I could see. I could see him getting off to a slow start and Scott was like going on a rant about the changing the mechanics (laughs) like when we're talking about it. And yes, I just, ooh, I don't like it. And the worst part, what I hate about stuff like this, it's like, are you really going to downgrade him because he's working on his swing? Might be a great thing. It might end up being great. You can't do anything about it from a fantasy perspective. Yeah. You You just just be annoyed.
1: It's just worry
3: fodder. Here's the
1: dumb part. Yes, Cody Bellinger hit 263 last year. It's 2020. That doesn't matter. He had a 371 on base percentage. I mean, for real baseball, obviously, it matters for fancy, but like he had a 371 on base percentage and like a 920 OPS. It doesn't yeah. matter that he hits 263. Don't change your swing mechanics. Just do what worked. And and what's, and what's amazing about this is if
3: we have the NL MVP changing his mechanics, the reigning NL MVP. We also have the reigning AL Cy Young winner, Justin Verlander. He's changing his mechanics
0: too, and it's like, what is going on? (laughs) I I mean, Verlander's doing it. Verlander has a reason.
3: Yeah, he's he's doing it uh, because he thinks it'll. You know, he he had some injuries in spring training and is trying to stay healthy. So you can like that's a little more defensible. But in both cases, it's like like mechanics are everything in base. like how many times do we see this go the other way where a nobody
1: changes his mechanics and somebody becomes a stud i mean travis shaw last year he he's talked about he started working in the offseason on on changing his mechanics uh and he stunk and it well it the problem for him and, and this is the real scary thing is it didn't work uh, it didn't take. He just didn't feel comfortable with it, and tried to go back to his old mechanics, and just screwed his swing up entirely. Uh, because but he I'm just, not
4: dropping Bellinger, are you? No, no, no. I'm, no it's just not
3: either. You you have to have you have to have faith in the coaching staff that they're not going to let him do anything crazy. You have to have faith in the player. I mean, certainly somebody like Verlander, who's been yeah. around as long as he has, I, I feel like he's pretty in tune with his body. But like, it's just it just presents this. Uh, this variable that is a very powerful variable, and you and you just you can't be sure uh, it's not going to throw off the whole equation.
0: Let's quickly get re- re- through the rest of these notes. Dylan Carlson is on the outside looking in, apparently, according to Ann Rogers, who covers the Cardinals for MLB.com. The left field battle is between Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas. Uh, this seems like semantics to me, just to hold Carlson down for the first week or so of the season, Scott
3: yeah i i don't i don't know
0: you're a little more worried
3: uh, it could be i'm i'm less confident in carlson getting that call out a weekend than i am in nate pearson who by the way has an even easier in now with chase anderson dealing with a strained oblique right like i, th- I think that's an obvious case of okay we're just going to keep him down a turn and then uh and then he'll be good to go from that point forward uh, i mean tyler o'neill could take off he has massive power potential uh and then you know it would it would be a case of Carlson would have to break in instead of Dexter Fowler, or you you know it'd have to be a situation where Matt Carpenter gets hurt, something like that. And so I don't think it's a slam dunk. Carlson is up after a week. I, I think uh, I think I'm less interested in drafting Carlson today than I was yesterday.
1: I will point out, you know, Lane Thomas isn't entirely without uh, appeal. You know, he, he's played 207 games at double A AA and triple A. His overall miley numbers are really quite poor 252 average, 750 OPS. Since getting to triple A or double A AA and triple A, he's played 207 games, hit 265 with an OPS right around 820. Uh, but his 150 game pace is 27 homers and 21 steals. And so, you know, he's another guy that if he does get an opportunity, uh, there's potential for a, a power speed combination there um you know not saying he's someone you should be drafting but if he wins the job it's not the worst
0: thing in the world speaking of prospects jared kalenik of the seattle mariners homered twice yesterday one coming off of a lefty man the mets are going to be kicking themselves for a long long time after this trade Uh, i still don't think that we see him this season just because of where the mariners are at i think it's kind of a similar situation to mountcastle except Kalenic is like three or four years younger, so I just don't think that we're going to see him. Speaking of the Mariners, Kyle Lewis has apparently been crushing the ball. He's a forgotten man. His ADP is 393. That power is legit. So just a name to keep in mind on deeper five outfielder leagues, AL only for sure. Red Sox manager Ron Renneke once again confirmed that Brandon Workman will open the season as the team's primary closer. He had 16 saves last season with a 188 ERA. ERA, 13 Ks per nine, albeit the ninth highest walk rate for qualified relievers. Uh, Willie Calhoun, poor guy, just can't catch a break, was removed from Monday night's intra-squad game with a right hip flexor strain. Uh, The Rangers are calling it precautionary. Cross your fingers, hope for the best for Willie Calhoun. And then Christian Walker, diagnosed with a right groin strain. The D-backs are calling him day-to-day. Could be an opportunity for Kevin Crone to get in the lineup, either as the first baseman or the D.H., Among hitters with at least 75 plate appearances last season, Krohn's 22.7% barrel rate was third best in baseball. So he hits the ball extremely hard. Promote a few things quickly. If you aren't listening to the First Cut podcast, what are you doing? These guys are absolutely crushing it. And Tiger Woods is back this week. Big Cat is making his first PGA Tour start since February at the Memorial Tournament at Historic Muirfield Village. The First Cut Golf Podcast has you covered with two stacked preview shows and round-by-round recap pods as Tiger searches for career win number 83. You can find The First Cut on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. That is not all. In addition, we're running... In addition to running two listener leagues, continue to send in your submissions for that, by the way. The deadline is this Friday. We will be doing a live mock draft podcast this Friday, the same day, July 17th at 2 p.m. Eastern time with you, the listeners and viewers on YouTube. Uh, Pay attention to our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group Wednesday night. I'll drop something in there in order to choose the participants, but make sure that you're available again this Friday 2 p.m. Eastern time, we'll be doing a live mock draft on the podcast. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to quickly recap our position previews that we did and answer some of your questions. FantasyBaseball at CBSi.com. Take your business
3: further with a smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the
2: powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com
3: slash card.
0: If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball today, and we're going to jump into the position recaps. What? What?
1: Calling you out. What? Something you did in the previous section, running through the notes, running through the news, Oh Byron Buxton, Mr. Glass, you can't stay healthy. Byron Buxton, you're criticizing the guy for staying ha- for can't stay healthy. And then Willie Calhoun, poor guy just can't catch a break. You know? Yeah, he can't catch a break. Neither Byron Buxton can't catch a break. Byron Buxton's had concussion issues. He's had all kinds of stuff. Willie Calhoun, like he got hit in the face got, with, the ball. The face with a ball. That's not his fault.
0: You I'm should know saying, that like, you're a Stanton you're fan. Not,
1: you're not offering this kind of uh, <laughs> this kind of gratitude or grace towards. Uh, a little guy named Giancarlo Stanton, oh gosh. or Aaron Judge, so
0: well they're also going like 150 that, picks higher. So
1: keep that same
0: energy. <laughs> I think I have Byron Buxton ranked higher than Willie Calhoun, so I, I think I'm quite fair to him. Yes, I have him one spot higher than Willie Calhoun. Wow, come on, Chris, I'm a fan of Byron Buxton. Don't sleep on him. All right, let's recap our position previews. Start things off with the catcher position. Scott, why don't you uh, start us off here? What is your strategy for one catcher leagues versus two catcher leagues? And which catcher do you find yourself drafting most?
3: It doesn't actually change that much. One catcher and two catcher leagues for me. I would Ideally, it'd, it'd be great to get one of the top five. Real Muto, Gary Sanchez, Wilson Contreras, Yasmani Grandal, or Mitch Garver. Uh, Mitch Garver seemingly being the one I'm getting most often because he goes the latest. And I think he has as much upside as anybody at the position. But if I don't, it's not the end of the world. And I just take, you know, once everybody's had their fill in a one-catcher league, I just take whoever's left because, you know, I'm excited enough about Sean Murphy. I'm willing to gamble on Christian Vasquez because, you know, if he if he, if he he isn't able to sustain, I'm sure something comparable will emerge on the waiver wire. Um, so, yeah, I don't really care that much if I can't get one of those top five. Two-catcher league... Uh, I do play favorites, obviously, with those, you know, that that second, the number two type catchers. Danny Jansen, Adam mentioned him as a sleeper. I'm very high on him, too. I've actually taken him as my top catcher in a two-catcher league before. And uh, my deep, deep sleeper for two-catcher league is Isa- Isaiah Kiner-Falefa <laughs> of the Rangers, who they they still seem to be... Really giving serious thought to making him their everyday third baseman, an everyday player with catcher eligibility, an everyday player elsewhere with catcher eligibility, he has a playing time advantage over every other catcher. And oh, yeah, Kiner Falefa has six home runs between spring training and, and summer camp so far. So he made some changes to his swing that, uh, that are generating some real enthusiasm there. So he's my deep sleeper at catcher.
0: Don't forget the name Isaiah Kiner Falefa. First base, Adam. I'm going to throw first base your way. It's a shallow position. How are you typically handling that? Are you making it a priority to make sure you get, you know, one of the top 10, one of the top 12 guys? How do you handle first base?
4: Yeah. Well, I've been a big Freddie Freeman fan. I, I really think if you take steals out of the equation, I think he's one of the f- probably five or six best hitters in the game. Um, so I love getting him in round two if that's possible. Now it's, you know, you can't take him in round two, um, obviously. We'll have to see. We'll have to monitor his status. But I don't want to go any lower than Josh Bell. Josh Bell is a first baseman. I'm getting a lot. Um, I I'm not really sure if I should give this advice because it's really just a personal preference, but I don't really like Jose Abreu that much. And but Paul Goldschmidt doesn't really do it for me. So when you get, I know, I know <laughs> Frank loves uh, Jose Abreu. When you get to that tier, uh, Matt Olson and Josh Bell really stand out to me and and Bell goes significantly later than Matt Olson, 25, 24 picks later. Um so, you know, talking about maybe nine deep or so, I don't want to go much deeper than that. I really don't want Edwin Encarnacion to be my starting first baseman. I don't want Miguel Sano to be my first baseman after a week. And, and he's obviously dealing with COVID too. Um, so it is a shallow position. And unlike second base, you know, where I could, I'm fine being the last person to take a second baseman, I do not feel that way with first base. I'd like to get a top eight or nine first baseman.
0: Speaking of second base, Chris You heard Adam just mention he doesn't mind waiting and being the last person to take a second baseman. Uh, Do you agree with that? This is also a very shallow position. Do you go out of your way to make sure that you get one earlier on, one of the elite second basemen? You did pay up for Ozzy Albies in uh, in our auction last week.
1: Yeah, part of the problem for me with second base is, yeah, I actually do prefer not to wait at second base because I don't love the late round options at second base. You know, a, a lot of the guys that people are really high on in the, you know, 15th round and later at second base are guys like Gavin Lux, Scott Kingry when he gains eligibility, Ryan McMahon and Garrett Hansen who I don't really, I don't really love any of those guys. I see why people like them, but I think they're all pretty long shots to be uh, significant fantasy contributors. And so if I do wait, you know, my options are pretty much limited to like the batting average specialists, like Kevin Newman, uh, you know, maybe Cesar Hernandez, although he's less of a batting average specialist than like a run specialist, but then Tommy LaStella and Luis Arias are probably the guys I'm going for. If I wait and it's a somewhat underwhelming uh late round
4: group. That's real. All... I mean, you shouldn't have to get them in as the 12th second baseman off the board.
1: No, it's, it's more that
3: it's I just right. if don't, if, if you don't want to take a shot on the high upside of like a, the relative lottery tickets of a Lux or Hampson, or I guess you could even put Kevin Biggio, maybe even Tommy Edmund in that group. Uh, then that's the next class at second base, the guys he's talking about.
4: Yeah, but okay, yeah. but you can get, you can get uh, Mike Moustakis around 100th overall. Eduardo right, that's why I, not
1: I want the my 12. second baseman to, I want my I mean, my they are basement, in the top 12, sorry. I want Aero. my second baseman in the first 100 picks, usually.
4: All right, fair enough. That's
1: what I was saying, is because I don't love the like 100th, through 200 range at second base
4: so so i want to clarify because i completely agree but in a head to head points league there's a good chance that only 12 second basemen are going to be drafted some of them like glaber might be played at shortstop maybe but um you you know number like jonathan vr i drafted jonathan vr was the last second baseman in a head-to-head points league um like the 15th round or something like that. So that's, a. I feel like if you feel pretty sure that nobody's drafting a backup, then you can wait. But I agree. You don't want to go much deeper than 12 because it does get pretty horrible after that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And some of the steel specialists are just getting disrespected too far. I mean, we talk about this with Trey Turner, but Jonathan VR still averaged 3.2 fantasy points per game. So uh, yes, he's better in Roto than he is in head to head points. But I think sometimes he gets dinged a little bit too much in a head to head points league. Uh,
3: Although if, if you think his home run output is going to be cut in half moving from Baltimore to Florida, then his fantasy points per game is going to be much yeah, lower. Than that's like a two and he's going to probably yeah. drop out of the startable range.
1: Yeah, I mean, I if know. he lost 10 home runs over the course of a full season, you're probably looking at like that's legitimately like a probably a quarter of a fantasy point per game loss. I when mean, you if, add in the runs and RBI, maybe a little more.
3: you don't worry about that so much in Roto league because you just need the steals, however you can yeah. get them, and you know he's going to give you a big chunk of those. But like, I but understand. Aren't you fine? Him-
4: aren't you fine with him being your your like fifteenth pick and your starting second base? Oh yeah, no, sure. I don't. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think
3: it's a bad gamble at all, but it is a gamble. Like you're you're not you can't just bank on him being your starting second baseman all season in a points league because we're anticipating statistical drop off. Sure. Yeah. The guy oh, he yeah. was last year, be a great starter for you, but we don't think he's going to be that again. No.
0: Yeah, even if he was a 12 to 15 home run pace with 30 to 35 steals, again, pace. I think that that's still a serviceable player uh should be inside the top 12 from the most shallow position to probably the deepest position, Scott, third base. Um Do you just Wait, or, or do you take the best value whenever it kind of presents itself on the board because there's just so many good third basemen
3: yeah I just anticipate I'm going to draft two and possibly three third basemen and I don't worry so much about filling that position too soon it's it, obviously easier easier in a standard roto league with the corner infield spot available uh, and even taking that approach I mean no, it doesn't it doesn't always work out that I'm drafting that many. I guess I guess just the main thing is if it's the appropriate point in round one or round two to take Bregman or Jose Ramirez or Nolan Arenado or or Anthony Rendone, I'm not thinking about okay, third base is deep, so I'm going to consciously pass this guy over. Um because, you know, a lot of the depth, they're multi eligible guys. Of course, JD Davis, I make a point to draft in basically every draft I can. Sometimes it's to fill third base, but he's you know, just as often it's to fill the outfield. So you can take advantage of that. You can take advantage of corner infield spot. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, there are basically, I, I think there are over 20 must start third baseman over 20. So like, it's, it's really hard to just get a nobody to, to, to just get shut out at the position. That's, that's probably not going to happen. Um but that doesn't mean you should pass up talent when it's it's obviously the right pick. You just have to, you just have to, uh, you just have to recognize that you're probably going to end up with more than one, and um, you know, it's it's reason maybe. Nah, I don't want to say that. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna put a period on it. I'm just gonna say that's it.
0: No, I think it was well said. How you, you said it though, like don't pass up on the talent just because the position is deep. But you know, when the opportunity presents itself, you should jump on it. And that's what I did in our auction last week. I I just waited for the best value, and I got Donaldson at fifteen dollars, and I was perfectly fine with that as my starting third baseman uh, at shortstop. This is likely the second deepest position. I'll take this one. And I said yesterday in Roto. You know, I'm trying to grab one of Trey Turner, one of Adalberto Mondesi. I want a difference maker in steals um, in this shortened season, and I think those two guys really stand out in that category. In a head-to-head points league, I'm going to lean closer towards what Adam was saying about second base. I think you can wait for, for a shortstop. You can get guys later on like Corey Seager as you know the 10th or 12th shortstop off the board, and I'd be perfectly fine with that. I do typically target Manny Machado if if he's available in those middle rounds but Seager specifically Jorge Polanco Polanco averaged the same fantasy points per game as Kleber Torres last year so I have no problem waiting for either one of Seager or Jorge Polanco at that position Adam in the outfield how's your strategy I
4: I am just I am willing to stake my entire fantasy reputation on (laughs) Carlos Correa I just want to say that he is the best value in drafts and he should be your starting shortstop you will win your league because of him okay go ahead Okay, and he's probably going to play 20 games in a 60-game season. All right, Adam,
0: outfield. How does your strategy change in a three-outfielder league versus a five-outfielder league?
4: Big, big change. Um, I Okay, three-outfielder league. I don't want to take more than two with my first, let's say, 10 picks, honestly. Maybe more like eight because if Stanton or Judge fall to like the eighth or ninth round, I might just have to be like, okay, I'm filling up all my starting spots. But man, there are just so many good outfielders that are going to yeah. go in the teens in three outfielder leagues that you're just like, oh, I can't draft this guy. Really? I feel like, yeah, okay. It could be my utility, but that means now I can't draft another third baseman. This is that I can't draft Chris Davis as my utility. So it, you have to have a special outfielder to take three of them with your first uh, eight to 10 picks, I'd say. Five outfielder league, you know, there's this range of outfielders that I was looking at earlier during our sleeper discussion, Um, Ryan Braun, Adam Eaton, Justin Upton. uh, It's a pretty good range. And uh, they're around, I think, 200 or so overall in ADP. So I'd be looking at that for like my fourth guy. I'm fine with my fifth outfielder being kind of a flyer. He doesn't have to be a great player. He could be just one of my last picks and somebody I'm going to shuffle that roster spot throughout the year. Uh, But I think it's pretty important in a five outfielder league to try to get at least two outfielders that you really like. don't have to be, you know, don't have to be Christian Yelich, but you don't want to have five outfielders after like, after the first seven rounds or something like that. You know, don't, don't wait too long. Um, Don't fill up too early in three outfielder leagues. Don't wait too long to start getting your outfielders in five outfielder leagues.
0: Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that this position is also deep. I'm looking at Scott's rankings deep into his 50s. I mean, Justin Upton, Adam Eaton, Shinsu Chu. I mean, if you get one of those guys, two of those as your outfield four and outfield five in a roto, I don't think that that is an issue.
1: I mean, just look at ADP 60, 61 through 65, or 61 through 64 is obviously El Garcia, David Peralta, Jock Peterson, Nick Senzel in a roto league, and, you know, maybe in. Garcia's case in a points league, you know, those guys could all be must-start players. Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's unlikely, but there are there's up there, there are more there are more players, especially in a points league after pick 100. Most of the time, the best available hitter left is going to be an outfielder. That's yeah, just or, kind of. Or...
3: Or the most interesting, which, I yeah. mean, maybe is the same thing. Like, that that's how I'd put the out. Like, there's no shortage of upside in the outfield ever. Yeah. There are just so many players who play that position. They're usually offensive-minded players. Yeah. They contribute in a variety of ways. There's always going to be another steals guy in the outfield, always going to be another power guy in the outfield. Yeah. So if there's Tons any position where I feel like I- I'm willing to come out of the draft acknowledging I'm weak, it's outfield, because I know I'm going to be able to uh, – to fill it on the fly more confidently than I can anywhere else. Even 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 at a time when infield is like historically deep right now, it just doesn't compare to um, beyond. You know, once you get out of the draftable range of hitters, there's there's always more options to be found in outfield.
0: Scott, let's go right back to you. When it comes to starting pitchers, it sounds like you've kind of settled in here with four of your top. Thirty. We've lost some of those starting pitchers along the yeah. way since uh, since February and March. Just lost some guys to injury, um, and I, I, I've kind of adopted that. I I have stole your strategy basically. Mm-hmm. I yeah. typically oh, target. Have. I target two or three of my top twenty, no. and then I no. have to get one of one of Montas. <laughs> Chris, Chris does it
3: sometimes, whether he <laughs> acknowledges it or not. Well,
1: no, it just yeah, it depends <laughs> if if the draft falls that way. But it's not my it's not my goal. Yeah, it's not a it's not an edict. I do have an edict. It's just not Scott's.
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tell okay. us more, Scott. Uh, yeah, I've lost count exactly what the number is now. If it's 30, 35, 37, it's, it's smaller than 37. And it's it's gotten a little – it, it the lines have started to blur around the edges because of the impact of a shortened season and, and workload considerations aren't what they were before. Uh, so is Zach Wheeler in or out? Is Madison Bumgarner in or out? Or, um, I'm all on the fence about guys like that. Uh Kenta Baeta, he's on the fence now, too. But yes, usually those on-the-fence guys, now I'm targeting them as my fifth and uh, getting four even earlier than that. Um, And that includes, like, you know, Lance Lynn is probably at the back end of that group, Corey Kluber, guys like that. I mean, guys who in the last couple years have been in Cy Young contention. So, like, it's a very deep class of high-end starting pitchers, of real difference makers at that position. It just the position craters soon thereafter you got that that very deep class of you know some of the most dominant pitchers we've ever seen and then those that kind of blurry class and then maybe a few upside plays beyond that but ones you can't really count on to be regular contributor for you and then it's just all garbage so like yeah, you have to make an investment in that position or you just have no chance of of hanging with the people who do. Um, you know, even acknowledging it's it's a volatile position. You just have to kind of lean into the volatility and, and in fact maybe overdo it as a way of counteracting that volatility.
0: All right, Chris, you called me out for s- skipping over Willie Calhoun getting hurt and your reward is you get to talk about relief pitchers. So ha. Huh? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I get stuck with relief pitcher in second base. I,
1: I, see, I see what's going on here, Frank. You can't call uh, out your host.
0: Relief pitcher is a
1: position that you have to fill uh, in a head-to-head points league, and it's a position that you don't have to fill in a roto league.
0: That's it. That's your. That's oh, your did answer. you
1: want? Okay. Uh, are we back yeah, to liking no, I,
0: I are want, we are we back to liking Sparps is what I wanted to ask you regarding head-to-head leagues cuz we did have some concern but now it seems like these guys are building up, you know, more aggressively than we originally had thought. Uh, and then if you're doing a roto draft, you know, how many closers or would be closers do you typically come away with?
1: I am not back to believing in Sparps. I actually wrote a mailbag column today and one of the questions was uh, what are some changes in strategy for a shorter season? And look, I know there's a lot of talk about guys being at their regular workload uh, to the start of the season. That doesn't happen in a normal season. You know, guys are usually, you know, outside of the elite guys, the first couple of starts, they're still, you know, 90, 92 pitches for the most part. Uh, and you look at all the Sparks, there's a reason they're Sparks and it's because they weren't starting last season. And so, there are questions about how quickly they can work up to their full workload. There are questions uh, about how deep, I mean, even before he tested positive for COVID, there were real questions about how deep Jesus Lizardo was going to be able to go into games and Julio Urias um, and some of those other guys, Carlos Carrasco even. And so I actually think sparps are kind of worthless potentially In the shortened season, at least for the first couple of weeks of the season. And that's a big deal. If guys aren't getting quality starts and guys aren't getting wins uh, early in the season, like you have to go six innings to get a quality start. I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't happen for Hazel Cesardo for his first handful of starts, unless he's just absolutely unbelievably good. And so...
3: But it is probably going to happen for Carlos Carrasco. It is probably going to happen for Kenta Maeda. If Carlos Martinez uh, sure, is the Adidas starter, it is probably going to happen for him. So I don't think uh,
1: it's- Carlos Martinez. I, given that he's on, on a delayed start and he's only thrown two innings in a simulated start so far, uh, I would say Car- it's probably less true for Carlos Martinez. But sure, Kenta Maeda and Carlos Carrasco. I'm more confident in Kenta Maeda pitching deep into games than Carlos Carrasco, just because. We don't know what the after effects of, uh, you know, him going through treatment for uh, was it leukemia? Yes. Yes. Uh, What the after effects are going to be and how he's going to react to a full workload. So, you know, that is a question. I think just in terms of the Sparks specifically in a head to head points league, the quality start and the win are so important to the sparks having that value. And if they don't have that value or if they're less likely to have that value, uh, I'm more likely to just go with a traditional closer in those spots. Maybe you bump up a Kentamaeda, maybe you bump up a you know a Carlos Carrasco, one of the Sparps you can feel confident goes deep in games. But on the whole, I think the spark class is has gone from what might have been the best spark class of all time uh, coming into the season. There were like eight to 10 guys who I legitimately would have been happy to have as my spark in a normal season uh, to one where I think for the most part they might not have a lot of value. And then in Roto, I want three closers. Um, Typically, it's something like Edwin Diaz or Craig Kimbrell. Uh, And then one of the lower end guys, you know, I've drafted Tony Watson with my last pick a bunch of times uh, because I think he can be the Giants closer. But, you know, Brandon Kinsler, someone like that. And then Carlos Martinez is a key part of my closer strategy now. Uh, You know, this last week before the season starts, I'm going to try to get Carlos Martinez as much as possible. All
0: right, we didn't get to your questions today. Apologies. We will get to them the next couple of days heading into, this is going to be the biggest draft weekend uh, heading into the season. Next week is opening day. We're already getting there. For Adam, Scott, and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.